Welcome to the Arena Deckless Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb. Now, back at home, resting with your neighbor's cat, I guess. <laughs> uh, dude, it's your cat. Just just take the cat. There, there have been developments where I am more inclined to just actually steal the cat now. I, I've, I shouldn't be creating this body of evidence to use against me, should I actually steal this cat, but... He's not being taken care of as well as I would like, and that is very frustrating to me. So. Well, also, you're talking about stealing it. It sounds like the cat is voluntarily coming over to your that is That is true. That is true. And if you keep letting the cat out and exposing him to dangerous situations, you can't blame the cat for wanting to be somewhere safe. And I think there's just too many anti-cat forces conspiring against him in our general vicinity now. There's like coyotes and Ew. other cats. And I, I don't know who he's tumbling with, but he's been coming over in some pretty rough shape. And I'm not pleased about it. Yeah, I don't like that at all. I I generally don't like the idea of letting your cat outside. I understand that, you know, especially if, if they came from the streets or whatever uh, and, and live there for a while before they're like fully domesticated, then yeah, they're going to want to go outside. It's just so much safer for them inside. And as long as you're trying to create like a fun, healthy uh, stimulating environments, you know, just like make sure to play with them or whatever. And like, they don't care then they, they just want, they have like their energy that they have to get out every day. Right. That's- I also think there's like a, a mixed environment you can do. Like if, if we are outside with this cat, he does, he doesn't look to leave. He's not like he hangs out with us, you know, and he'll sit on the patio and sure. like all those places are safe and he can do both things. It's just, I don't like the, the mode of I open my door, cat disappears for three days and whatever happens, happens. Yeah. Uh, whatever you're, you're going to figure it out. Uh, I hope, hope the solution ends up being good. Basically. And, just and or crime and or crime. Yeah. Yeah. You know, whatever it takes. Yeah. Uh, anyway, just moments ago when I was like, all right, you know, start starting the podcast and Brian says, wait, what are we talking about? <laughs> the answer to that is a little bit of a cat update. Uh, we have, Oh God, a full, Spoiler for Dominaria Remastered, which I'm not going to get into too much, but holy crap, like that thing just like came and went in a week. We have previews for Phyrexia All Will Be One, even though obviously have not fully digested the last set. We have a nice Twitter post from Magic Data Science. And I remembered this morning, Brian. The thing that I said last week that I oh right right good job good job Gerald because I had completely forgotten yeah about that, so. right okay so man I, I I just remembered it so I don't have it like you know fully outlined in my head basically what I want to talk about so we're just gonna be shooting from the hip you ready I'm always ready to shoot from the hip that's how I live my life these things happen where we say things and regardless of our confidence level it seems like kind of throwing things at a dartboard to see whether or not people like actually listen to us or not. And for some things that people listen to us on, it's like, well, you know, maybe that was not like the most sound advice, right? Like it's not like we're right a hundred percent of the time, like far from it, Mm -hmm. but there are some things that just tickle me where you're talking about Lotus field for literal months. People, just refuse to even try it. It's not even like, you know, people are disputing that it's like the third best deck instead of the best deck or something, right? It's just like people just refuse to even pick it up and give it a go. I was insulted at the the lone uh, PPTQ I went to for suggesting that Lotus Field might be good. 
Yeah. To my face. Uh, so, dude, I, literally I, insulted me to my face. I remember that. Odds, odds that that person is like now trying to borrow copies of like Arboreal Grazer. And That's whatnot. pretty high. Pretty high. Yeah. So things like that are always weird to me where, granted, I, I mean, it wasn't like we were unanimously in favor of this deck. Like I was the person who was like, ah, I don't know. It seems like it has some problems. But I was very upfront where it's just like, you know, talking about things like the Phoenix matchup or whatever, where it's like, it's, it's bad for Phoenix, right? Like Phoenix needs a ton of sideboard cards to beat it. And things like Rakdos, it's like kind of the same, right? So I was more so worried about like the aggressive element of the format and trying to be realistic about things. Whereas you, I don't know, just continually kept talking up the deck and we're very confident about that. People did not seem to believe you. And it just got me thinking about, why that is and when people choose to actually listen and if they are coming in to listening to a podcast like this, basically already deciding that they're not going to listen, then like, what's the point? And I'm sure a lot of people are just like nodding and like, you know, force closing their podcast playing app or whatever right now. They're like, yeah, you're right. I, I just won't listen anymore. Okay. <laughs> Good point. I'm done. Yeah. Uh, in which case, fine. Good beats. But it just got me thinking about like the information gathering aspect of things and how I thought that I was pretty good at this and maybe it should have been a thing that I I talked about more and tried to teach more. And like for the most part, I have always been a fairly big advocate of, you know, just gathering as much information as possible and then trying to distill that into something useful. And people who have known me for like, you know, 20 years, man, uh, just like the early days of like magic online. And like when they, they first started posting deck lists, which granted wasn't like in day one or whatever, but you know, like even, even back before like the magic online deck lists, I was going to like magic league and, and like looking at those lists every day, I was just trying to look at everything because I don't have all the ideas. Right. But the community at large, maybe they don't have all the ideas, but they, they have more than me. And, if I have more information, I, I'm able to see how more people are like building their decks or like sideboard strategies that they're using. Like that's more information in my arsenal that I can then use to like tune my decks for future tournaments. Right. And it has been incredibly helpful. Like so much of the stuff that I have done has not been a result of, I came up with it on my own. Right. It's like, I get to look at all this information I take like one piece that I like from this deck, one piece that I like from this deck, one piece that I like from this deck, put it all together and create a monster. And how do I know that those things are correct or that they're going to work? I mean, sometimes it's practice. Nowadays, less practice, more of, of just eyeballing it. But I think I've gotten really good at that. And I don't know. It's it's just weird that if if like... Magic podcasts had the proliferation that they do now back in 2005, 2008, stuff like that. Like I, I would have been listening to all of them. Absolutely. And then there would be people that I would trust or distrust based on their track record and based on the things that they're saying and how they're saying it and how they're explaining it and like what their confidence level seems to be like. And based on all that, if you know, you for months are talking about Lotus Field or I'm talking about Omnath and Modern or something like that. It's like, I would I would give that a look. And it's just, it's weird to me that that sort of stuff is not shown through. Well, 
lot to unpack there. Yeah. One of one of the things that I would really focus on in this discussion is that I don't actually draw fault to individuals for like not taking the sound advice. Yeah, and, I mean, and a, a lot of, of it is, is like, hive mind stuff, right? Which is like a whole other thing. Yeah, there's also a very, very real question of information overload. Like when you're talking about processing all the information, which is something, a, a technique that very much, uh, it was the core of my success as well for a very long time. Just take in everything, filter it, learn, assimilate. There's too much now. It's in too many places. And it is filtered to you via algorithm and whatever your media platform of choice is. And it's really, really hard to drill down and distill. So what Maybe. I do, I, I, I think it is. I, I really do. Like That's the reason why misinformation is so successful is because you can just create information yes. ad nauseum and bombard people until something sticks. But if you are actively searching for the truth, you can find that as well. It depends. It depends if you have the tools to do that. Yeah. If, sure. To be I mean, a good magic player, you should have those tools, by the way. I think they're critical. And there is a reason I, I do think we see more critical thought and less nonsense. Not to say that there isn't a large amount of nonsense, but less than like the average populace amongst magic players, I would say. So part of this is that I think over time, you should be able to figure out what are reputable sources and what aren't. Hmm. Right? Yes. Just given given track record. And the the more that you learn, like the more knowledgeable you are about magic, I think you can quickly figure out whether someone is full of shit or not when they're talking about magic and like what is the best deck in a format and why. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very easy read. One of the things that like, I think is at the core of this is that it's very easy to view trustworthiness and like accuracy as kind of a tally board and go, well, this person was wrong about this thing, this thing, this thing, this thing. They were right about this thing, this thing. And that means they average out to being wrong about things. And I don't have to regard this person anymore. And then they don't play tournaments anymore. So what do they know? They probably don't, you know, have their pulse on things. And I, I get that. I, yeah. I do totally understand that. Um, and it's kind of like a cheat code, right? Like if you're but looking to who yeah, you're going to pay attention to. They're still listening, which is funny to me, right? It's yeah. like, all right, I've decided I'm not going to trust these dudes, but I'm still going to listen to the podcast. Well, maybe we're just so entertaining. and uh, I highly doubt that. But <laughs> they just can't get away from They just need to hear the cat updates. That's all. Yeah, they're, just, they're here for cat stuff. Uh, no, like the point I'm getting to is that like, you know, I can I can blow my top 10 list for the brothers war and it just be almost universally wrong. And that'll happen. I mean, that's like a snap evaluation of cards trying to like predict the future of a metagame, not really being sure about the state of like where these cards are going to be played. What's the purpose of standard, all those things weigh into, you know, what was a pretty rocky top 10 season for me, I would say. And if that's your last impression, you go, well, Brian doesn't know what's going on in magic anymore probably not going to pay attention to him. He lost it, everyone. It's he gone. It. And and as we all know, once you lose it, you never get it back. Correct. It just does not come back. What, what I would look at if I were, you know, trying to decide, and maybe this is like bringing some bias to the table, but if I'm trying to evaluate my trustworthiness on deck selection, I go and look at a track record of times 
Brian has cared about deck selection and how he's done in that scenario. Right. And I mean, like I would put my record up against anyone's frankly in that regard. So yeah. I, I do think there is like, you know, a, an element of magic that I'm very good at. It's not playing the actual games. I own that very, very rapidly. I'm a mediocre in-game player at best, I would say, but I'm really, really good at figuring out what deck you're supposed to be playing in a scenario, what decks have natural edges. It's just always where I've made my bread and butter. And you can look to either like, you know, limited pro tour appearances, very high success rate, showing up in fandom legends against the best players in the world and winning more than basically everyone. And, you know, spots just like where it's time to pick a deck that really preys on the field. Even going back to something like, uh, you know, the last blue white deck I put together where we moved on from torrential gear Hulk and we were just playing card drawn to Teferi, like things like that. I, I tend not to get excited about these things anymore, unless there's like a good reason to be excited about them. I'll mention them. I'll be like, this idea is cool, but you won't hear me harp on it for an extended period of time, unless there's something there. And that's how I would make decisions based on like what to take on right. my information presentation. And part part of the problem with this. And I, I don't know that I would have brought this up because I was having trouble explaining basically like my, my process for this or like what is actually important. And this is probably a thing that I need to think about. Cause I think that this could be a good piece of content, but I think you might've nailed it where, uh, it, it's it's really simple too. So I hope that I would have gotten there. But just when we're talking about is Brian right a lot? Is he trustworthy? There are a lot of different aspects to magic, right? And if you look at, yeah, our top 10 records or whatever versus deck selection or sideboarding plans and our efficacy in like different areas... Yeah, like those are things that you very much need to separate because they're 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 testing for different skills, right? Mm -hmm. And I agree with you completely that like your your deck selection, maybe not like the minutia, like the actual, you know, 72nd whatever card choice is is on point, but like the strategy, you're just like, okay, this this is like the type of deck that is going to be successful in this format is like yeah, your your track record is stellar. And being able to say I would put my my track record up against probably anyone is like a pretty absurd thing to say. But in your case, I think it's very true. Like you had a not not short like pro tour career or whatever, but like it, it was very limited, like you mentioned, because you had other real life stuff going on. Right. And your your success is very, very good for the the small amount of like appearances and like even opportunities you gave yourself right so yeah that is that is definitely one thing where it'd be like oh yeah like brian brian is very good about that or i don't know for for me i think it would be uh maybe maybe not sideboard choices necessarily but certainly like sideboard plans mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think that's exactly right and i i guess what i would like one of the big takeaways I would have from this is like, you should continue. And when I say you, I mean, you as listeners should continue to be on guard and discerning and, you know, want proof of things and not always just accept things because anyone says it. And that includes me. And that includes me about Dex. Like, like just, there's nothing wrong with like wanting some solidity as far as that goes. I will say, however, when I'm looking for people to trust and this has, man, has this proven to be true 
throughout magic's history, be very careful of the person who never gets it wrong. Like that's the person you need to be wary about who will just go to the grave insisting they were right. And, you know, if, if you're naysaying, you don't get it. I, I think one of the best things that you can count on for me until the day I die is an openness to admit when I get stuff wrong, which I will do a lot. It'll happen many, many more times. It has happened many times in the past, but that means that like there's accountability, there's ownership, there's not just put out a clickbait YouTube title, say you broke it and make sure everyone clicks on it and reap the benefits. There's like an actual uh, commitment to wanting people to succeed. And it was frustrating. The hard thing about like seeing Lotus Field come to prominence at the end of this pioneer season, I would have really liked to just have some people have been like, oh, I picked this up. I cruised in my tournament. It was easy. Thank you. And that just didn't happen. And that's that makes me sad because I do like having that influence on people's results and people's lives. We don't we don't hear about that all the time. Every single time it happens. Of course not. Of the course time, not. But I I used to hear about it a lot more. And there's a lot of factors sure. behind that. Yeah, I mean, uh, fewer tournaments, fewer people playing. You know, yep. I mean, that's certainly a big part of it. But yeah, I mean, like we we get those emails occasionally, and I always forward them to you because yep. I know that they're always going to make your day, regardless of what's going on, right? So, yeah, it's 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 possible we're just not hearing about it, or you know, magic is not uh, as as banging as it once was, and I you know that just means that we're going to get fewer emails, you know. Yeah, sad times, but overall, uh, I am very happy for the people who found Lotus Field towards the end of the season, including our good friend Kane, who uh, LCQ'd into Pro Tour, Mox, all that good stuff with a, a very cool looking list, by the way, did some uh, some work to move it forward. And I, I'm just very happy for him. I'm very happy for all the folks who enjoyed the deck, picked it up and, and found a pretty easy road to victory a lot of the time because you were just doing the most powerful thing. Yeah. Kane is, Kane is one of the people that I, I would, I would trust when they're tuned in. Yep. You know, agree 100%. And I'm I'm sure it's even like way further back than this, but like one of the things I remember is, is Kane just working on like the just guys and see combo deck a lot. And I, I had tuned in whenever Kane was streaming just to see like the weekly updates and, and what was going on with the deck because I don't know, you like four color, but like still kind of restricted in what you can and can't do because it's pioneer and, and Kane was just still there innovating and like making the deck more, more resilient and uh, being able to like find like these, these cool answers to things basically. Uh, and yeah, Kane, Kane knows what's up. So Congratulations for that, for sure. Kane's awesome. Agreed. I need to think about this more because it is it is really interesting to me, and I think that it it does go a lot further than beyond magic and everything. And you you talked about accountability, and to me, it just speaks to self awareness and how powerful that is. And like those are the type of people that you should want to surround yourself with, basically, because. Yeah, they're they're not necessarily out to just protect themselves or their self-image or whatever it is. It's like they're they're willing to be vulnerable and accountable and can like change their opinion on things. And I I think we all have someone who's like a good friend who is like very stubborn and I, I mean for me personally I can I can think of a few. 
right? And just like, man, it would just be so much easier if we, we could just like talk about things honestly or whatever, because this is kind of frustrating. So it takes time. I mean, you, you wouldn't have wanted to have any of these conversations with me 15 years ago. So yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. But you know, I didn't ask you to do a podcast with me 15 years ago. Good idea. So. Cause that would have been, <laughs> that would have been a train wreck. Well, yeah, but you know, 15 years ago, that might've been the moneymaker. You know what I mean? Uh, maybe. I don't, I don't know. I, I would probably be justifiably relegated to the back quarters of the internet and not allowed to participate anymore. And I wouldn't blame anyone. Yeah, me neither. All right. That's enough on that for now, but I'll be back. I promise. Okay. I'm, I'm looking forward to you sussing this out and thinking through it. It is a very interesting topic. It's hard to, it's hard for me to talk about without coming off self-serving, which I kind of hate. Like I, well, there's always an element of like, ah, ha, ha, I was right, which is not my intention whatsoever. I really yeah. don't care that I was right, but it's hard to talk about it without going down that road. So, so, uh, okay. Let, <laughs> I'm, I'm not done, I guess. Uh, let's, let's talk about that a little bit because it, it was the catalyst for what made me think of it and made me think about how content creators or whoever can shout things from the rooftops and people don't care unless you 5-0 a league, mm-hmm. right? And just the ridiculousness of that. And yeah, it is, it is weird where I kind of like put you in this spot where it's just like, look... Look at the things that Brian is good at and be able to discern whether or not it's not even like he's telling the truth, right? Because I think when most people say things, they believe it to be true, but that doesn't mean it's true, right? Yep. So it is, does Brian believe it? And and also, is it the truth? And all I'm kind of asking is y'all, y'all had months to kind of figure it out on your own and no one even tried. That, that's the thing is it's very, very obvious once you play just a little tiny bit with the deck, then that's the thing that kind of blows my mind. Or play against it. Yeah. You ever join a league with and Phoenix? And you get Lotus Field? Yeah. And play against, yeah. It's not fun. It's not. Anyway. Yeah. So I, I didn't mean to like put you on the spot where you had to talk up your bona fides or anything. That was not my intention. It, it was simply the catalyst. And that is how we got here. That's all. Word. Go to the Dominaria remastered spoiler. Oh, I would love to. One of my one of my favorite pages. I've been glued to the Dominaria remastered spoiler this entire time, just waiting to see what's coming down the pipeline. Uh, look at the card Remedy. White card? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm looking at it. Can you can you describe the photo or the the art? Uh, I. I don't think this is within my wheelhouse, but I, I will try. Uh, I'm on magicspoiler.com. I don't know if that matters. It's just where I ended up. Uh, describing the photo, it has... Just, just what's going on in the art? There's there's like a... Looks like a young lady lying down and a man in some type of cleric-y robe things sort of wiggling his hand snake-like in front of her face. I think he's holding a leaf, too. Okay. Yeah, I don't I don't have like a close zoom here, so I'm Oh, okay. I, I'm on I'm on Scryfall on a big monitor and the card is enormous. Okay. Let's go Scryfall. I'll take a closer look. Because my, my eyesight is terrible and <laughs> the I, I made the cards very large on the screen. I okay, so what happened was I was just scrolling through, just curious to see what was in this set. And I don't know, it looks cool, it looks fun, like any sort of master set would be. 
But yeah, are you there? You, you find a, a bigger image? Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at a bigger image now. So anyway, I saw this card. Yeah, it's got this little girl who's sick in bed. Uh, this guy's just laying on top of this little girl. Yeah. That's weird. Yep. This is a weird card. <laughs> it's making me deeply uncomfortable. Yep. You know, I've probably seen this card, I, I couldn't even guess how many times in my life. And Same. I've never really taken a moment to process it before. Same. It's It's really weird that once you see something, then you can't unsee it. Yeah. And maybe you hadn't seen it for, for 20 years or whatever. Uh, just, just so like, many interesting things. There's like a, an ornate pillow and we're very dedicated to the, the like carvings on the wall. Right. Uh, yeah. It's a like a nice marble wall. It looks like a lot going on in this card. And then you just look at it and it's like this, this healer dude is just like on top of this girl. He's got like his leg over her or something. And it's like, okay, I don't, li- I don't like this. Now, now this is quickly becoming one of my least favorite cards of all time. Is does the font look very weird to you? Is this just like uh, like a, using a digital version of this card, or what? What is happening with the font? On yeah, this card? I, I feel very like this, odd. I feel like this is like the Moto font or something. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. This can't be what the cards actually look like, right? This looks weird and, and bad. Anyway, that was it for Dominaria <laughs> <laughs> Remastered. Okay. I was. I wasn't even going to talk about it. And then I was just scrolling and I was just like, what the hell? Yeah. I mean, I don't have much else to say about it. It's just like more reprints, uh, sell cards that aren't on the reserve list. Cause they'll be printed to death. And that's, that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. Good advice. Uh, okay. Magic data science. Yeah. This, this is a heck of a tweet. There was a tweet that I retweeted that Brian didn't see because we found out that I'm shadow banned on Twitter, which I, I don't know. Uh, to the extent of what that means or why would that be the, uh, like when I thought about like someone who would be shadow banned, I definitely, and I did the same search on my name. I expected it to be me, not you. And like, that's why I wasn't seeing stuff from you. I'm, I'm probably retweeting like, you know, a lot more trans positive stuff, a lot more anti-racist stuff. I don't see any of your retweets. I see none of them. Not, not recently, but you know, certainly during 2020, I was going pretty hard. Uh, and then, you know, a little bit more after that. Uh, I just haven't been tweeting much. I guess 2022 is almost over. Good God, this year fucking sucked. Yeah, I just haven't been tweeting much at all. Uh, mental health, not in a good place. That's kind of why I expected you not to catch the shadow. Uh, just like not that active. Was well, the see, main that's the thing. That. It's like, did it happen? before Musk or did they go in after and like keyword search things or is it like you retweet stuff from people who are legitimately shadow banned you just get put on a list or something I don't know you got like the backdoor shadow ban anyway so if people aren't seeing my tweets even though I don't tweet that much that could be why I don't know anyway uh, Magic Data Science tweets that 2022 was a prolific year for at wizards underscore magic 11,000 roughly card variations were printed, which is 14.7% of all cards in magic history. 430 30, 30 years of history, by the way. Yep. Uh, we, we are celebrating magic 30. In fact, so 425 new commanders were debuted 25% of the total. And I'm glad that they added this because I didn't really think about this. It's 1.16 new commanders per day. Think about that. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of commanders. Also, approximately 18% of the 
of all words in all rule stacks of all cards ever were printed in 2022. Now, that one, in theory, could just be because there were a lot of cards printed. But that's mm. that's also not really the case. Um, I think it's it, multifaceted. It is. It is. Uh, yeah. A lot of... Lot of printing of magic cards. Uh, we're well, not Gerald. Hold on. I was I was at a cocktail party last week, and there now? was a, there was wide discussion, and it was very clear there was no indication that magic cards are being overprinted. It's just very clear. If you want to come sit by my fire, we can talk about it more. But I I just don't know what you're saying. It depends. Is is your your cat slash not your cat chilling there? Probably. By, by probably the fire. be around. Yes. So I, I feel like you're being facetious. You were not I actually. Am. I, yeah, there party. was there was recently a, uh, <laughs> no, a Hasbro yeah, led fireside chat where yeah. they basically just were like, no evidence that cards are being reprinted, and it's so the the purposeful obliviousness of what is being said in this case is so frustrating because he, everyone like clings to it as look, see, this is obvious. Why are you so stupid? But it's like. You're not addressing what is actually being said. They are talking about this tweet. That is what is being said when you talk about overprinting. We're not talking about sheer numbers. We're not talking about secondary market value. And that is how people who want to take the side of everything is fine keep addressing this point. They say things are not being overprinted. And like secondary market supports the idea that you're not tanking the secondary market. So yes, you're right about that. But it's yeah. not what anyone is saying. I, I can't be any clearer about it. Like it's it's so obvious. No, nah, I mean, was it Cynthia Williams? Is that her name? Yes. Yeah, did did kind of an artful dodge of the question, the old answer not answer. What you would expect. Yeah, of course. And, uh, yeah, the the whole just y'all y'all don't really understand our our customer base or whatever. It's like. Okay, I mean <laughs> that, that, that's also not really, but yeah, I, obviously they're they're just gonna say shit, right? So they, like we don't even need to harp on the ridiculousness of it. No, it's completely nonsensical and to serve a purpose. And there's not, there is only uh, legal truth to be found. They're careful not to say anything that is yes. legally false, but uh, there's a lot you can say without actually getting to the core of the issue. Phyrexia, all will be one. Yeah, new magic cards. The ones that are for you and I, by the way. Many of these cards, not for us. We're supposed to ignore them, uh, which I'm, I'm getting better at. Yeah, done and done. Worth. Yeah, I am getting much better at ignoring magic cards. <laughs> Although, I mean, we, we could at some point talk about like Eternal Weekend stuff and what is going on with the initiative and legacy, which I find, again, deeply fascinating. Um, but I think everyone knows what my take on that is and... Probably your take as well. Heritage rules. Yeah, that would be my take. Minus minus Uro. Yeah, you can relook at the ban list. Obviously, all the context changes. So, yeah, uh, and it's interesting to see things like this. You know, maybe Heritage kind of. I'm in the wrong places to see if it is actually catching any steam. But you know, Todd is over there trying to do an, a new school type thing, which is basically old extended, uh, which I support. What? Yeah, he's he's got some. Uh, dude, I'm well, on Twitter. Yeah, okay. I, I, you got excited about something that this is not. You were thinking oh. like old, old extended. He is using a rotational system to make a replacement for standard. The latest four years of sets, an entire year rotates out at once. I think is the 
summation of where he's at right now. I, I just went to Twitter and the first two tweets were from Todd. There you go. Yeah, and he's trying to he's trying to put something together. I you know, I support trying to find ways that magic works for you. So good for Todd. I, I'd do some things differently for sure, but uh, you know, he's passionate and trying to get something going and that's cool. Okay. Yeah. If you Got me excited by saying old extended. I know. I know exactly what you thought. I, I know the decks that were dancing through your mind. And Just a setup, a rotational format that rotates slower than standard does, which I, I do actually think like that is what's missing from the live I, play ecosystem. I will say that when, when I was at Wizards, end of 2013, early 2014, we talked about stuff like this and... Obviously, things have changed a lot. Mentalities have changed a lot. But I honestly think that the way things are now, it, I don't know, there's kind of the argument that like it's it's an even worse idea now than it was then. But like the idea back then was that formats get like stale and solved too quickly, right? And this was, some folks might remember when there were a, a couple different like dips of the toe in the water to experiment with how often standard rotates and whatnot. Mm -hmm. yep. And uh, yeah, there, there were also things like Theros mono black had been out for a year and people knew it was going to be out for another year. And wizards knew that they didn't really do anything about it because they didn't know it was a thing. Cause at that point there wasn't an FFL. Uh, so then it was like, well, you know, something like that happens or like Thrag Tusk happens and it's just like super annoying. We just get it out quicker. Right. Uh, and, and I think that even once the player base pushed back on that and then they walked it back and they went back to a normal, you know, every, every year rotation thing, I think that the consensus in house was like, this would have been better for players outside of the whole, your cards lose value much quicker kind of thing. You know, as far as like health of the format, they felt that it would have been better to have faster rotations rather than slower ones. But I don't think health of the format is how you make these decisions anymore, though. I think it's something yeah. different. Yeah. Uh, I, we, we talked about it with like Pioneer and Modern. We're just like, what do the players want? What do they like? Yep. Yep. Legacy too. Like, do you like Brainstorm? Okay, keep it. We'll ban Ragavan and Arcanist and Days and just like <laughs> whatever other nonsense just to appease you and keep you happy. That is fine. That's what it's all about. Making your players happy, figuring out what they want. Uh, you know, I, I work on a non-rotating game and it's a, a lot of the way we manage it is just like, well, what do people want here? How long do they want cards to be around? How long should powerful things have sway over the metagame? How should things be replaced? And, you know, how should bandless be managed? And all that stuff is every single time we make one of those decisions, it's just like, well, what do the players want? And uh, I, I don't think standard is serving anyone right now. It's not, it's not giving any players what they want. So you need something else. And, you know, there are flaws with the slower rotation, exactly what you're mentioning. But I think ultimately it would leave more players happy and leave some space to do something in paper with these new cards. You need a home for new cards. You need it. And standard is not providing that right now. What if they're all just legendary creatures that can be your commander? Uh, Christ. Yeah, you could do that if you want, I guess. That's probably serving somebody. All right. Phyrexia, all will be one. Uh, we have six cards. Also have a lot of basic lands. 
and some leaks today too. I mean, we don't have to talk about them, but uh, a, a lot more getting revealed. Leaks, today. leaks, but not previews. Leaks, but not previews. I okay, believe, yeah, yes. then we're not going to do that. Yeah, you know, we don't have to do this now. I think at some point we should revisit that idea, but yeah, let's not do it today. But Listen. you and I should talk about this a bit more. I'm kind of off the idea that like anything needs to be saved, and if people are talking about it, yeah, just talk about it. Okay. Uh, I, we, we flip-flopped on this when yep. we started the cast, okay? Yep. And my initial take was I wanted to do a spiky podcast as a spiky person trying to get information and prepare for upcoming events. Uh, again, I'm going to look at all the information, right? And that means leaks. And we got more than a few uh, messages from folks who were like, Oh, one of the cards you talked about was leaked. It wasn't officially previewed. And like, I didn't, I didn't really want to hear about that. And I respect that. I respect the hell out of that. And if there is literally one person who doesn't want to hear about leaks, I'm not going to talk about it. And I know that there's at least one person. Mm. If, if there was an ecosystem to deliver content that I believed in, then I would work to preserve that ecosystem and, you know, make sure people get their preview cards. That's the main thing I, like, I wanted to serve is like someone previewing something that they were excited about. I didn't want to take that away from them. And that's the main reason I backed away from the idea. I mean, th- of- dude, that's, a, that's another good reason, even though I think people doing wizards marketing for them for free is not a good idea. But, yes. But I, I'm, I'm not going to like poo poo on their excitement either. And like in the grand scheme of things, the damage is already done, right? Like us then perpetuating it and continuing to talk about it doesn't really hurt them anymore. I don't feel like, but maybe it does. Right. Yeah. Like we're, (laughs) that's the other thing too, is like, are we the primary source for magic news at this point? I don't think that's the case. I think we're kind of like a niche podcast for people who like us is how I view our role. And, uh, you know, was there a time when I think we, had a good argument for being like one of the most important influences over the competitive scene. Yes. Uh, is that time now? I mean, we just did a whole 20 minutes talking about why it, it isn't right now. So I, yeah, but I, I mean, we, we could have had that same discussion, you know, three years ago. And I, I think, think it's more, I think it's more pointed now. It is more pointed now, but it would have been just as applicable back then. It's just as important, but yeah, I, I do agree with you. Absolutely. But for the time being, I'm I'm not pushing that we change the policy this week. And if you're committed to it, I can I can get on board with that too. So let's talk about. You understand my rationale, though. Right? I do. I, no, I absolutely do. I absolutely do. And you know, like you said, I'm flip flopping on it because I was with you. I, I very much reached the same conclusion. Now I'm just like, eh, if there's something I want to talk about, I just kind of want to talk about it and sure, sure. do what I want to do. Um, I, I don't feel the same sense of like responsibility to the community anymore, I guess, which is maybe a little dickish, but yeah, I, I'm just being moment. honest. I, I don't feel it. Like it's, it's, it doesn't feel like I, I don't know. I don't feel as included at this point it is what it is. That's my honest assessment. I mean, I, I think that, some Keep telling that. me everything's not for me, Gerald, and it's going to have some effects on me. Like, yeah, well, at some point, I'll internalize that. What I was going to say is, like, you're you're kind of making steps to do more fab stuff, right? Or or have made more steps. I think at this point, you're still like pretty consistent as far as like where you are or whatever. So, yeah, it's like if, if you've stepped out of the community, that doesn't mean that you get to then like poo-poo the community on the podcast you know it's like yeah and that's way so that's not my goal is to poo-poo them i'm just saying like i don't feel that i don't i i feel like i have a new home 
I, that's just the truth. Like I, I feel more like welcome and included and uh, supported, I guess, in the other community is yeah. what it is. Uh, okay. So Phyrexia all be one, six cards, counting some leaks that Brian really wants to talk about. I mean, we'll talk about them eventually, man. That's, yeah, 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 they're coming. Anyway, we'll there. one thing that Wizards continually does well is make cool basic lands. And that is a, another thing that's consistent with this set. There's beautiful. They have Phyrexian lands, which are cool as hell, but they also look like they're from one of the, you know, metal secret layers or whatever, which yep. should kind of be my jam, but just isn't. Uh, personally, I like the the full arts from this set a little bit better than the ones with like the Phyrexian ones with the mana symbol in the center. Those are... Tell me, tell I, me about the full arts. What do you like about the full arts, Brian? Uh, I, I don't know. Just like the vibes are good. Like they're, they're very beautiful pieces. They, you know, are sort of like angular and overwhelming and they do a good job capturing the feel of of what's going on here so yeah they, they appeal to me aesthetically and who is the artist uh let's see it looks like it is elena danner beautiful work beautiful i don't know if you ever met the danners uh they no i haven't i know they're friends of yours though yeah they they live in seattle i, I don't know if they're originally from wisconsin but that is where i met them Back in my early PTQ days when I was living in Minnesota. And, and were, were they were like fellow PTQers at that point? I don't know that like Elena was like grinding or anything, but she she was like definitely there. She was definitely around. And then uh, Matt, her husband, was playing at least some, but he was also he was more of like on the on the business side of things. Okay. And I think that that kind of like persisted. Like now he's working at Wizards, right? Yeah, they they are awesome. The, obviously there's like a lot of people in Seattle that I miss. The Danners are are definitely up there. Like they are people who we, we have this mutual connection of magic. Right. But they are also people that I could talk to about other stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, I would like go to their house for like Friendsgiving and, and Christmas and stuff like that. And like magic cards are around and maybe we would talk about it a little bit or talk about wizards a little bit or whatever, but mostly it's like talking about, you know, people or video games or whatever. So anyway, uh, that's, that's one of my favorite things that magic did for me throughout the years is like, yes, there's ostensibly this backdrop of magic that we all get to share. And it's like a default. Like if the conversation slows, you always have that to return to, but it opens so many doors for other good conversations right. at the same time. But yeah. Uh, Elena's stuff is, is all awesome. Yeah, so it's incredible. I, I own a lot of her art, not the original art, but, you know, uh, playmats and prints and signed cards and whatnot. Uh, so, you know, Archmage's Charm, Dragon Skull Summit, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, Very cool. Yeah, the the lands are great. Absolutely. On, on the actual cards, the officially previewed cards at this point. The real cards, yes. All right, so first up, Elish Norn, Mother of Machines. I cannot believe slash very much so believe that they actually put mommy in her name. Is that like uh, vernacular in the community? Uh, yeah. Okay. Maybe, I feel like there's more you're not telling me, but it's okay. <laughs> maybe, maybe not in the corners of the community that you frequent, but okay. yeah. Uh, Elish Norn, mother of machines. I'm going to send you like some, some tweets later or something. Uh, four dub four, seven, I, I know that I did it first. I'm sorry. It, it's like one of those things where it's like someone else says it, it gets into your head and like you automatically. And you it. you know my problem with repetitive yeah. uh, vocal patterns where someone else says it and I tend to default to it very quickly. Yeah, so. we, we, we just got 
you know, nix that one. All right. Four, four dub, four seven, legendary creature, Phyrexian Praetor, Vigilance. If a permanent entering the battlefield causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. And permanents entering the battlefield don't cause abilities of permanents your opponents control to trigger. So, uh, my my first take on this card is that it is very weird that it both like matters when stuff ETBs and stops when stuff ET stops other stuff from mattering when it ETBs. It's it seems kind of difficult to track. Like it's, uh... it's straightforward, but it's also like. If it was, I, I don't know, if it just kind of like did the same thing instead of like polar opposite things, I think it would be easier. Does that make sense? Or am I, I, just kind of, I kind of see what you're getting at where it's not about whose permanence enter. It's about the controller of the effect. Is that sort of what's throwing you off a little bit with this? It, it throws me off. That it's like a, a thing ETBs and rather than every time like okay something happens it's like okay well now sometimes something happens sometimes yeah. something stops happening and my my brain just has a problem with that where it's like this one card is responsible for like things happening more and things happening less uh it makes sense thematically though i mean like this is i i think this... dude yeah i mean thematically it does because the other card i'm thinking of is vorinclex yep one that was like double your stuff half their stuff yep well, and, there's also the original Elish Norn where sure. plus your stuff minus their stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that that was I don't know, it was just kind of like it was easier. Or for difference between my stuff and your stuff or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know? For sure. M- more realistically, kill all your stuff I win the game. But Yeah, yeah, that I mean. That's what she did for me. Absolutely. Yep. I'm very all right. Sell the card. But yeah, as far as pan harmonicon torpor orb kind of thing like this it's it's powerful. Uh, it's five mana doesn't affect the battlefield immediately, but as we kind of saw with Shieldred, if it has enough toughness and there's not a lot of stuff to kill it, then maybe that's good enough. And Panharmonicon was, I don't know, like this, again, like a four mana thing that didn't do anything, but like people still built around it, had some success. So Well, there's there's the more recent analog too, if I'm remembering the card correctly, the Sultai card the elemental that was played in a, in a bunch of decks during that standard format. I'm blanking on the name of it right now. I, I vaguely have a recollection of what you're talking about. Yarrick? Yurik? Oh yeah. 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 But Yarrick? that was nonsense. That was not, you could play, they were doing like field of the dead stuff and there were just so many other better five drops. Yeah. Yarrick was uh death touch lifelink three, five of permanent entering the battlefield causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger that ability triggers an additional time. Yeah. So in theory, you could go over the top of your field opponents with risen reef and like double field yep. of the dead triggers and stuff, but it was, yep. it, it, it didn't do enough. Uh, by itself. So. It happened. Pe- people messed with it. it. It certainly did like the ridiculous snowball thing that that format was sort of inf- infamous for. We would just go, absolutely nuclear on your opponent and gain a ton of life and take over the game. Uh, this this does the same exact effect on your side with a less restrictive mana cost, maybe one that isn't as suited to it. I, I, I sort of see Simic as like where you really want this stuff, but obviously you slot this into too. Yep, you slot this into Bant. You're doing just fine. And then you're also getting 
this restrictive ability towards your opponents. And I actually think this ability is going to be one that surprises people. I know it's like frustrating you to wrap your head around. I think it's also extremely impactful, extremely, extremely impactful. Like, like some of the things that you would expect to potentially deal with Elish Norn are going to get caught by this ability too. And it's really right. going to limit the amount of removal you can play to deal with this card seems very playable to me. I, it does have the shouldered problem, but the output is just massive. It's if you get to untap, it, this is one of those things where you just like win the game. It stabilizes you very well with that seven toughness. So uh, I expect this to see quite a bit of standard play to the extent that standard is played at all. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say that you do like five mana creatures with no ETBs as evident by our last top 10 list. Facts. Facts. <laughs> but I think that both sides of this are very powerful. The body's very big, not an ideal color, but again, splashable. Uh, mana's pretty good, actually. And I don't know, things like Storm the Festival, right? And like this and another thing. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a really important mana cost that Elshnorn is hitting. And there, I do think there are some combinations of two cards where you just will create insurmountable advantage for yourself if you're able to go ahead and storm them off and maybe we're finally getting to the point for that go big deck that i've theorized around for a very long time in this format yeah, look if we're storming we can't play the bad growth spiral i'm sorry hmm, it's just not gonna happen we'll, we'll play random mana creatures instead but cards coming man it's just a matter of time it is a matter of time i agree with that but yeah i mean card card is powerful right and look for maybe the both the most practical thing that you can be doing alongside this and then mm -hmm. also the most busted thing that you can be doing. Oh, that's that's really good advice. I do think there are ways like this could just be a good creature in your otherwise good deck and you don't have to go all in on the snowball. So Right. One thing I did so Storm of the Festival, it, it's it's weird. It feels bad for me to like bring up because for the most part it has consistently failed, right? At least as far as being a tier one archetype. But one of the things, again, as far as like gathering information and tucking that stuff away for later, one of, one of the things I thought about with this is just like you play this, they play Invoke the Despair or whatever, and it's like, oh, it's such a bad trade, right? But uh, one of the things that the Storm decks did was play a decent amount of things that uh, made tokens. So like... Yep. Lots of fodder. Yeah, the, the Kami enchantment saga thing that just like made a one one and it's like what is that doing here and it's like yeah it just eats up and invoke for two mana which is incredible right yeah. so uh yeah that that in in those storm the festival decks with this thing probably some other stuff to get some advantage like i i don't necessarily think it's going to be tier one but like that is definitely a fun place to start yeah it's really interesting you bring that up because i actually had some conversations about standard and with who? fable over in our discord uh it was a brief conversation so uh but just the place of like fable of the mirror breaker in standard and like is, is it a good card for standard should it be banned to the extent again that people still care about standard do you do you make those kind of changes and i talked about when you know i was giving feedback on that set and really didn't have much to say about fable and that's that's weird because it's like such an obviously powerful card and obviously has gone on to dominate multiple formats but the thing was i had a lot to say about the flip saga mechanic in general like a ton yeah. to say about it yep. and there were there were bigger problems with that mechanic than 
Fable, uh, the Kami War comes to mind as as just a huge problem. And there are other cards that I think when I submitted my feedback that I was concerned about the mechanic, I think given the stage of development things were at, they were very receptive to that feedback. And I think a lot of things got brought down a lot. But the ultimate problem with the mechanic, which, by the way, when I hop in late in the process and like give this feedback, there's no way you can scrap it. Like that's just not going to happen. That's right. It's too far along. That's not realistic. And I wouldn't expect anyone to do that. But like the ultimate feedback I gave was that these cards produce too much cardboard. There is no way that you're not making adventure 2.0 and that something in this pack will be the best thing you can possibly do. Ultimately it turns out to be fable of the mirror breaker, but had there not been nerfs to the Kami war or uh, restoration of Iganjo, they could just as easily fill that role. And if you ban something like Fable of the Mirror Breaker, I do think that the next one of those flip uh, sagas just steps up and they they still remain the best thing to do. And for exactly that reason, I, I think that card is, I'm forgetting the name, the, the green card, which I probably know by a different name. It's fine. It just produces so much stuff. And the fact that it's doing such an effective job of stopping Invoke Despair and you get paid on the backside it's great. It, it, all those cards are great. And I, I don't think you can actually ban your way out of the problem with the flip sagas. There's just too much value there. That is probably fair. All right. Next up, Blue Sun's Twilight. Standard talk. Boom. Boom. Blue Sun's Twilight. XUU sorcery. Gain control of target creature with mana value X or less. If X is five or more, create a token that's a copy of that creature. So had the Zenith cycle back in not Scars... What was the one after that? Was it a new Phyrexia? No, nah, there's one in between there. Whatever. It means this is probably a cycle, which is cool. Maybe, you know, expel, reasonable expel that at a certain point you get extra stuff. And this card, this card is reasonable. I don't think that it is the best value necessarily. And there's the one that's a colorless and quad you that has seen yep. some amount of play that is a, a control magic. You love control magics too. So if you're a medium on this, that that definitely slows me down a lot. Although yeah, I will it's, say especially against cards like Elish Norn and Shieldred, yep. where it's just like yep. this big thing that has a monumental impact on the game. When you're playing against like goblin guides, control magic, unless it's like you know, threads or something. Yeah, like I, I'm old enough to remember like, threading Tarmogoyfs, right? Like that was a yeah. big thing for a long time in extended formats. Yeah, uh, and uh, also if if a lot of the stuff that you want to be taking with Blue Suns are legendary, well, making a token is like not that effective anyway. So yep. uh, I'm, I'm less high on this than the five mana one, but the five mana one also has a fairly prohibitive mana cost. So uh, I, I could definitely see a world where the the one that you play changes, you know, week to week, depending on what's going on in the format or whatever. But like, there's definitely a time and a place for something like this. Yep. Are you excited for the cycle? What would you make the rest of the cycle, Brian? Oh, I, you don't ask me to come up with cards on the spot. That's that's a big ask. Uh, I, I do generally like these effects, though, that scale as as you hit mana thresholds. I think they tend to be interesting and lead to like a, a good form of modal play without drowning people in words. So I'm, I'm really a fan of these designs. Phyrexian Obliterator. Nice little reprint. BB, BB, 5-5, five, five, Creature Phyrexian Horror, Trample. Whenever a source deals damage to this, that source's controller sacrifices that many permanents. When, when Mono Black is like one of the best things to be doing, 
Yeah, it's scary. Yeah, do we really need a thing like this? But then it's like, how, how often are you actually going to play this over Shieldred? What I, I think I this does, know. what I think this does is means that mono red can never like be the answer. Like you, you just can't, you can't, this will just shut down mono red. And you know, you, I'm sure you can find some narrow answer somewhere. One of my favorite magic moments of all time was my brother playing in the top four of an SCG. I think they were just opens at this point. And it was like the one on maybe the weekend of the invitational, and he was paired up against, he was playing red, green, Valakut paired up against mono black zombies. Opponent has the full set of Phyrexian obliterators. I somehow had talked him into playing a rack with madness in his sideboard before the event, specifically for this card and like a, a really bad removal. If you don't know rack with madness, uh, target creature deals damage equal to its power to itself. And he did in fact get to rack with madness, a Phyrexian obliterator to steal a game two that he otherwise just couldn't win. Uh, and then lost in game three. Didn't draw the rack with madness. In that spot. Uh, brutal. That's just unlucky. Yeah. Nothing. I mean, you should have just played four rack with madness, right? That's, that's the solution there. Yeah. But uh, what I am more excited about this card, I think you're right that you just like default to Shieldred over this. This closes off some options for potentially dealing with mono black, which may not have been very good anyway. Like I, we don't know where mono red is going to fall, but this certainly makes things very, very hard for mono red. What I'm more interested in is how can you like, break this and you, you do it with fight cards for the most part you have it fight your opponent's stuff is that good enough typically not but it's interesting and like I, I actually remember like this may have been pro tour born of the gods but i remember matt costa in modern playing like a phyrexian obliterator green black deck that was just like weird and interesting and th there are ways to benefit from these these kind of synergies in certain formats and eh, maybe this format sort of fits it's kind of a little slower a little grindy a lot of value and nothing really beats blow up like five of your permanents with Phyrex and obliterator but it's a lot of work to get there that's what i'm excited about i think this card is probably just like more of a sideboard card than anything else it's a good option to have though yeah i agree and like a beloved card too i don't, I don't yes. think this is a card i've ever registered which yeah, I'm not sure I have either. I'm pretty proud of that, I think. I feel like it might even be one that I don't own. Not many magic cards from this era I don't own, but I, I may not own Phyrexian Obliterators. Uh, I might have owned one at one point. A Obliterator. An Obliterator that did not do much obliterating whatsoever. All right. Koth, Fire of Resistance, 2RR, Legendary Planeswalker Koth, 4 Starting Loyalty, plus 2, search your library for a basic mountain card, reveal it, put it in your hand, then shuffle. Minus three, this deals damage to target creature equal to the number of mountains you control. And minus seven, you get an emblem with whenever a mountain enters the battlefield under your control, this emblem deals four damage to any target. I think this is solid. I'm a little disappointed that it says basic mountain. though. Again, this feels like a sideboard option to me, but there are several good sideboard options in this space for mono red. So this is about finding the right tool for the job. A uh, little bit of spoilers. I think this basic land thing is going to be very, very around throughout these planeswalkers. Ten planeswalkers in this set, by the way. Five completed, five not Yep, uh, is, is the official word. And it, some number of them have the same focus on basics. So we'll see. Interesting. Yeah, we'll see where that turns up. But, you know, fine option. Doesn't excite me. Doesn't make me want to build a deck. It's just I, I am sure I can find a spot for this to be very useful. Yeah, Jaya, for the most part, I think is a little bit more versatile. Yep. Yeah, Strong Planeswalker, for sure. 
Uh, we've, got a, we've got a Chandra too, right? In this set? I feel like we still, uh, no, like a, just a legal one. Uh, I don't know. I feel like there's quite a good legal Chandra as well. Like a, oh, a real the, the three drop, right? Right. Yeah, yeah the three drop's still around. <laughs> I, it, I think you're right. I haven't, I haven't brewed with Mono Red, I think, since uh, before rotation. I actually don't remember. Yeah, I, I swore off the uh, the big red deck I made at the start of every single format. I, I've I've grown past that. Yeah, uh, slow bad Iron Goblin two R three three, legendary creature Phyrexian Goblin Artificer tap. Poor slow bad, huh? Poor slow bad. I I don't know. He kind of looks like he's living his best life, dude. He, he's, he's still doing what he loves. He's yeah, he's doing what he loves. He's he's ripped. Looks great. Has the Gigaton Hammer. Um, it's nice that the Phyrexians just put you in, in like a job that you're suited. Like, okay, you were already like working around the forge. We're not going to totally displace you. Like, go back to it. Here's the hammer. Yeah, just enjoy your new muscles. You know, just do whatever you're passionate about. Sounds great. So when I say gigaton hammer, does that mean anything to you? Uh, you're you're triggering something in my head, but no, okay. it's no, a nothing it's immediate. A, it's a Pokemon thing. The new Pokemon. Okay. okay. There's. I feel like Gigaton is is used in multiple places. Yeah, probably, but Gigaton Hammer specifically is like a Pokemon thing. But yeah, new new with this generation, there's there's a Pokemon that looks like like when I when I first saw it, I hated it, right? But it evolves twice. But one of them, maybe maybe all of them, kind of, but like definitely one of them just looks like a, a Lego movie character. It just okay. looks like a Lego, and I was just like, what the hell is this thing? You know? But it was like good typings. I put it on my team, and it like evolves. Gets this giant hammer, and it's tiny, obviously. And the the move is completely ridiculously good. And I was just like, okay, I'm a, I'm a Gigaton Hammer gamer. So, so in in the world of Pokemon, this Pokemon evolves, and like the hammer just appears. Like it doesn't have to go to the hammer store and pick out a hammer when it evolves, right? No, I mean you certainly you certainly don't have to buy it or equip it or anything. All right, I'm going to send you the Bulbapedia link to this thing. It's just a very interesting, like, genetic piece of encoding where you evolve and a hammer materializes out of thin air. Okay, so the the baby one has has kind of like this tiny mallet, and then the second stage has kind of like a a, a medium sized hammer. Like, it's definitely bigger than it. Mm-hmm. And then the evolved form just goes all out. Yeah, it's it's hammer time. All right, I need I need the live reaction from Brian. Gottlieb. I mean, that's that's a big and hammer. A it's huge, just a huge hammer. And it seems like you know my theory. Like, do you have to go to the hammer store? It sort of looks like this could be made out of bone, where you just like kind of expel it from your body as you evolve. But it, then there's like a nail sticking out of the top. Yeah, so. it's it's steel. It's very steel. So, <sighs> okay. Don't get, look too deep into the world of Pokemon, I did, guess. Did you get the link? Did you look into it? I didn't click on the link. I just saw the picture. Okay. What 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 do you think? What like my my reaction to the third form is I love this, right? I mean it's pretty great. Pretty great. I love the oversized hammer. Anyway, slow bad. Gigaton hammer gamer. Tap second artifact. Add an amount of R equal to the sacrificed artifacts mana value. Spend this mana only to cast artifact spells or activate abilities of artifacts. I don't know what we can do with this. It certainly feels more pointed towards commander, but also I, I kind of like this for standard. I mean, this, this is a thing that could make me spin my wheels for at least a day or two. Tinkatons are 100% female. That's interesting. 
Sorry, I'm deep diving on, on Tinkertons. And they weigh 248 pounds. You have to assume a large amount of that is yeah. in the hammer. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, two, 246 of that is the hammer, probably. Yeah, Slowbat is a magic card that is going to trick you into doing silly things. There's like bad loops you can do already, for sure. They're, they're very, very bad. I doubt there's a very good loop to do here, but maybe. Maybe what? there's something you can get up to. I'm, I'm just down to sack my synthesizers and get a little bit of value, a little bit of mana. Yeah, that's nice. Maybe, I mean, it's, maybe it's cast. just a lot of investment for that small return. I mean, that that's where we start. Okay. Right. There's also all the, the big artifacts that you can cast for the smaller versions. Right. Yeah. So you can cast the, the big sides of those. I don't know, man. Like it's, it's a powerful effect, right? Like we're, we're talking about the, 2G, 2, 3 that like taps for two mana, right? And it's like, oh yeah, like this is this is maybe pretty good. Slow bad is basically the same thing. It's like a potentially a very, very strong mana generator, which is scary. Obviously it's tacked onto like this three drop body that doesn't do anything to affect the battlefield, but three, three, kind of big. Legendary, so maybe not great because you can only have one in play at any given time. And there's not necessarily like a backup option for this right yeah like the mana generating decks are going to have like a bunch of different ramping elves or spells or whatever whereas mono red big artifact ramp like what else do we have like we just have to play a bunch of power stone cards i guess i mean maybe that's yeah maybe you just maybe you just want to rock like a two mana rock into this is enough to like hit you your seven on turn four yeah and that's what your goal is supposed to be. Yeah, and it's it's. If you had like a Karn, you could you could talk me into doing something stupid with it. Yeah, and then just profit. I don't know, whatever that looks like. I guess there could be a Karn in this set, right? Uh, I mean, there was a Karn two sets ago. They made Power Stones. I'm looking for a, I'm looking for a big boy Karn. Oh sure, well, has to be an artifact. Office low bad. Hmm. Okay. I hate it. <laughs> now now I'm just off it. It's it's very hard for me to imagine like the seven mana artifact that gets me excited as putting a planeswalker into play. I guess maybe they exist. I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little hard on seven mana artifacts. What if we play the portal? Talked about that one for. for yeah, modern. we saw some portals make appearances. Uh, oh. That one's nine. That's that. It, that does not curve all that well. You know. Yeah, I feel like we need we need some backup pieces here. All right, last card. Could get him though. Last card, Jorkadeen, First Gold Warden, R-Dub, 2-2, Legendary Creature, Human Rebel. Trample, whenever this attacks, it gets plus X, plus X until end of turn, where X is the number of equipped creatures you control. Then, if this thing's power is four or greater, draw a card. 2-mana, two 2-2, two two, Trampler, uh, I think is fine. I've really grown to appreciate any two-drop legendary thing that makes, like, Plaza of Heroes a reasonable yeah. mana fixer. But I one thing I just why do they keep making things that are just like oh for each equipped creature you control yeah, it's, like, it's, hard, dude, it's hard enough to go wide and you want me to put equipment on all these things we keep going back to this idea and it's like it's not gonna it's not gonna work it feels like the old they're like auras used to be like the inherent disadvantage of trying to do this strategy is just so great in the face of what even standard is about much less you know talking about other formats but. Whatever. I mean, I guess it could be like a commander card and you can build around that in the commander space and it's interesting and you want more support for those ideas and the more you can lean into it, the more fun you have. So if that's the goal, it probably does that. 
you probably just want as many of these type effects as you can possibly get for that commander deck. So, yeah, uh, I mean, sort of takes a lot of the beauty out of it. It's uh, it's it's not that we need more of these core esque cards where we're getting paid off because we just always have equipped creatures lying around. We need better equipment, right? We need things that equip for zero and basically do nothing. Yeah, you can't make that. So. It's too dangerous. It's, it's just way too dangerous to make. Zephyr Illusionist is too good. Yeah. Shuko. Shuko people to death. Yeah, exactly. And I, okay, maybe that would help. Or like, they've made some of the equipments that like copy themselves, right? You gotta you gotta do something like that because this, this on its own is not gonna yeah, do a we, lot. I mean, we even have like, you know, rabbit battery, line sash type stuff as well, where we have both equipment and creatures in one. So we can kind of be modal about the approach here. Yeah, but it costs too much mana. That's the problem. It, it's too expensive. I agree with you. Uh, that said, though, it, even if you ignore the equipment text, if uh, when this attacks, uh, if its power is for a greater draw card, that's not bad. And I feel like that is maybe not reasonable, but certainly doable. Uh, maybe with the right anthem effect or just like a, a good buff you want to play what i don't, I don't even remember the name of this is how saturated with with cards where the mechanic where you like get to add your power to something else if there's a particularly good version of that that could benefit jor kadeen then maybe that's how you get to four and you don't even worry about the equipment stuff i was thinking more along the lines of like a three the three drop two two haste that gives something plus two plus oh or whatever like that kind okay. of thing yeah. Or yeah, just, fine. yeah, maybe maybe just one shot it here and there to to get a card out of it. And even if it trades with something, you're trampling over for a little bit, so that's cool. And your mana base is online now. As you mentioned, Plaza of Hero is very important. So yeah, I could see a potential home for this. I am skeptical that anything like this could ever be top tier, but also a rebel. That's what oh. I've not seen that in a while. Yeah, let's go let's go searching through the deck every turn. That's a good time. Uh, and then the rest of the stuff is just variants. There are 75 different Elish Norn arts, uh, which, okay, cool. Now there's, there's seriously six of them. <laughs> like what? Can <laughs> you imagine doing coverage these days? Like seriously? No, just, no. Dude. How, how are you supposed to, I don't know. Well, it's not even that. It's just like sitting down across to play a game from an opponent. Like I, I didn't read people's cards. I, I sight spotted them. Yeah, same. And that is not viable anymore. So I don't know. It's weird. Frustrating. Leads to more misplays. But it sells a lot of cards. Well, uh, do a community-invoked soft ban on the forest-looking Dryad Arbor and at least make it a faux pas to keep that Dryad Arbor in your land row, right? But... Mm. Six different Elish Norns that we've seen so far. There might be more, and that's okay, I guess. Somehow, old enough to remember when we couldn't have textless cryptic commands anymore. Yeah, too too unclear. Right, and that's like the most popular card in in standard, possibly in Magic at that point. And it was still just like, oh yeah, this is kind of a, a dickish thing to do. We'll never do that again. Nah, we'll do it six times instead. We'll just print every card in Phyrexian. It's not even like, oh, well, maybe my opponent will be Japanese and they can read my card. You know, so. <laughs> it benefits nobody. It benefits a fictional race. That is the state we've gotten to with magic cards. Yeah, it's fine, though. As, as long as people aren't complaining about it, then it doesn't matter. So, I don't know. Whatever, man. Uh, we just don't understand uh, their consumer base, etc. Yeah. 
No, like I said, when I go to cocktail parties, everyone is just always telling me right. how great all these cards are. Right. So. Well, when you know, when you go to the next one, keep me updated. Let me we'll know do. if if that is still the uh, water cooler talk. I guess. Yep. But, yep. Happy to keep you in the loop. Man, now now I'm tired. I need a nap after <laughs> after all that. That's how you know you had a good podcast is when you're just fucking drained at the end of it. <laughs> you're like, I have nothing left. Game. Good luck.